Biennale of Sydney Fan Fiction, Episode 1. Cockatoo Island is the largest island in Sydney Harbour. It is located at the junction of the Parramatta and Lane Cove rivers. Get there by water taxi, private boat, kayak, or the F3 Parramatta River ferry from various wharfs around the city, including Darling Harbour and Circular Quay. The ferry ride will take about half an hour. Place your hand on the white rail and feel the spray of seawater hitting your face. Squint into the reflected, bright Sydney light. Cockatoo Island is many things. It is Aboriginal land, the country of the Wongal people. It is convict settlement, a prison, a 19th century juvenile detention centre. It is a shipyard, a place of industrial dispute and protest. It is a campsite. You can glamp there. It is a space for cultural activities such as the Biennale. It is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and it is also a big set for film and television productions. Contemporary film props, hollowed walls, and mock colonial brickwork lie next to real, legitimate, or authentic heritage brickwork, unmarked and undifferentiated. You can tell the difference when you touch the walls. You can feel the emptiness, the interior echo, feel the void through its slightly unstable shell. You can compare this to the cold, heavy fullness of space, occupied by thick slabs of clay, soil, sand and lime. You can reach out and touch the walls and realise this. You can feel this, but otherwise you might not know. You're intended not to know, to remain unaware, because more than anything else, Cockatoo Island is a tourist destination, and the Sydney Harbour Federation Trust trades in the continued illusion of its heritage. Stephanie Rosenthal, Artistic Director of the 20th Biennale of Sydney, called The Future is Already Here, It's Just Not Evenly Distributed, said in a talk in Melbourne in late 2015 that she was interested in the in-betweenness of the island, the limbo it found itself in between, heritage site and film set, how it blurred the lines between fact and fiction. She spoke of how there was something disturbing there, not only because of the island's history, because of the unsure layering of history and fallacy how you come to second-guess your surroundings. Kelly had attended that talk and was thinking about Stephanie's words as she stepped off the ferry from Circular Quay to Stephanie's Embassy of the Real. Kelly had been invited to the opening week of the Biennale as part of a project called the Bureau of Writing, a small collaborative writing project designed for artists and presented in parallel with the Biennale, running alongside it in association with Artspace. On the island and in this embassy of the real, there were many works that riffed off the in-betweenness and liminality which Stephanie discussed as being inherent in the space of Cockatoo Island itself. Works that engaged with the history and the physicality of the island that filled its massive spaces and now void boat building warehouses and those that made space where space had not yet been. The embassy of the real was a space to discuss our lives lived in multiple realities. Works like those by Cecil B. Evans or Camilla Henro proffer a world where those lives are defined by social media and film alike, depicting characters that are at once plastic and artificial, but also rooted in and moving through the same worlds and platforms that we move through, negotiating the texts of social media and film side by side through the space of technology, platforms that liquefy and bleed into each other, competing moments and circulating forces or ideas, creating alternative worlds and environments to generate an absurd hyperreal. But where is the slippage between fact and fiction, reality and fantasy? And how important is it that we realise these slippages have taken place? The work on the island signified an acceptance that we live these multiple realities 
and far from being anxious about it, these works and their seductive post-internet aesthetics relish in the complexity of this layering, enamoured with the success of duplicity and in-betweenness. On the far southeast end of the island, where you look across the Parramatta River to the Balmain Sailing Club, Kelly stood dwarfed by Agatha Goethsnape's work Physical Doorway Three Ways. Three large billboards hang on one of the island's huge industrial sheds, a triptych depicting three iterations of text, Physical Doorway, with a simple line drawing depicting a door at three different states of open or closed. The simplest of graphic gestures indicating a relief that did not exist. A making of space where space had not yet been. On initial inspection, Kelly was struck by the absurdity and humour of Agatha's work that played with the tension Stephanie spoke of, the blurred lines between fact and fiction, the simplicity of a film set as a stage for the real, as an analogy for contemporary life, and a contemporary society that trades in the lie of representation willingly. To a certain extent... This initial reading is an obvious one, and in Stephanie's introduction for the Embassy of the Real in the Biennale's catalogue, she cites the masculine voices of Zizek and Baudrillard with the directors of The Matrix, Larry and Andy Wachowski, and Charlie Brooker, the creator of television series Black Mirror. Behind every image, something has disappeared, pronounces Baudrillard. A desperate strategy to return to the real of the body, asks Zizek without feeling, describing individuals who have the desire or compulsion to cut themselves inflicting pain in order to ground themselves in the realm of the physical. Reading these dated men's words, their flagellations in the face of their perceived loss of the real, Kelly thought that what was presented at the Embassy of the Real was not a binary of real, unreal, bodily, virtuality at all. She wasn't interested in questioning the nature of reality within these terms because it felt passive, dated, conservative. It assumed that there was a quota of lived experience, that in having one experience you delete the capacity for another, that it was either or. Kelly wasn't sure why curators like Stephanie kept returning to the words of Zizek or Baudrillard when they failed to describe what she was experiencing. Brooker at least saw the positivity in this complexity, adding, The mirror is after all a utopia, since it is a placeless place. In the mirror I see myself there where I am not in an unreal virtual space that opens up behind the surface. Agatha's physical doorway, three ways, acted as a mirror for the island, mirroring its own artifice, and opened up space between multiple realities. But whose realities were these realities? Who did these billboards speak to? Whose reality are they aimed at representing, shifting, critiquing? Kelly imagined that they were not speaking to her on the ground, but to those living on Birch Cove across the Parramatta River those who can see the door open or closed. She imagined living in one of those beautiful homes, sitting on a wide balcony with a clear view of the harbour and looking at the billboard. She imagined boarding a yacht at the Balmain Sailing Club, looking up and seeing physical doorway shouting out at her. She imagined she would think, of course it is. Doors are always open for people who live in beautiful bayside homes on the Sydney harbour. Kelly left the island, she moved back over the water to the mainland, to the Museum of Contemporary Art. Before venturing to more of the Biennale, she decided to stop on the second floor instead and spend some time with the MCA's collection. She stood in front of Agatha's Every Artist Remembered series. She had always loved this work. It was simultaneously the aftermath of a performance and an improvisation of the performance itself. There is something intimately personal and confessional about Every Artist Remembered. Asking a friend 
or colleague, in one instance Mike Parr, in another Michaela Dwyer, and sitting with them and thinking about every artist that they could remember off the top of their heads, every artist from which to create an amorphous diagram of influence and social connection. What is it to be autobiographical within the context of art writing? To discuss all these things that have happened to you, to us, how do we trade in these relationships between people, between each other? Who knows and does not know? Who is invited? What is included and excluded? Are we to simply forgive ourselves of these exclusion and inclusion binaries because they are the natural consequence of community? Are we to forgive ourselves as active participants in a game of self-mythologizing? Are we to forgive ourselves of the vanity and standing in front of this mirror? Kelly thought about how this kind of social confession is a process of dedication, the reason why she wrote and participated in the art world. It wasn't about cashing in the chips of social capital. Rather, it was offering up a context in an act of generosity to the audience, a mirror for illumination. Kelly worked at the Monash University Museum of Art in Melbourne and had the pleasure of spending time watching people interact with Agatha's public work at the Caulfield campus. The scheme was a blueprint for future development programs. She watched as staff and students interacted with the work, both in groups and as individuals. She watched as an anonymous audience member as those staff and students entered the stage of the work. The scheme was a blueprint for future development programs, a large, distorted, multi-purpose sports and recreation court stretched across the campus, suggesting a performance, its lines and words inviting, requiring participation. These words that read in capitals, ask, tell, unknown, were not the usual script of a sports arena. Quickly those walking across the campus, walking across the work, would see the slightly off-kilter stage and either willingly or unwillingly be turned into participants. Through the simplest of material gestures, lines and words drawn on the ground, Agatha created an audience of performers, directing bodies to move in a prepared choreography through space, inviting them to work within the parameters, acknowledging that parameters exist, acknowledging that they are there to be broken, that they exist even if they are acknowledged or not, that they simply are there, creating space for direction and deviation, desiring deviation. The work constructs and reorients the bodies of those inhabiting the university campus, the staff, the students and the visitors who frequent that space. It questions what it is about the intuitive ways we move through public space, the lexicon of these movements within the field of the university and shared space. It hopefully leads us to question the way the institution constructs our paths and asks us to forge new ones. On Cockatoo Island, William Forsythe's sculptural installation Nowhere and Everywhere at the Same Time mirrors this desire for direction and deviation. Nowhere and ever at the same time, a collection of mechanised hanging pendulums swing across the warehouse, becoming choreographic objects. William paces these objects in the path of the bodies as an instigator of decision and action, of movement and pause. The participant and the spectator are one and another, observing their own association as the work itself. These conditions for action gesture to a work that simultaneously exists and doesn't exist. It is the void that we project our desires onto, the space where we lay potential actions on top of each other, collapsing multiple realities. The audience partake in an unconscious choreography that becomes aware of itself. We become aware of our everyday movement, how that is intimately connected to our past state of mind, 
how performative interventions into spaces make us think our relationship to our surroundings, make us rethink how we build our own narratives and journeys in spaces, and how our bodies are constantly in symphony with our contexts, how we create parallel narratives, fictitious maps as tools and safeguards, small acts of resistance against the prescribed, performative interventions of participation, the hierarchies of participation, the fantasy of participation, our participation and our reaction to it becoming a mirror onto ourselves. Biennale of Sydney Fan Fiction has been written for the Bureau of Writing, a collaborative writing program designed for artists and presented alongside the 20th Biennale in association with Artspace Sydney. Biennale of Sydney Fan Fiction is written and spoken by Kelly Fleener for On The Beach Podcast. Its music is by Ron Koo and www.onthebeachpodcast.info has been designed and developed by Ron McNaught. You can find further information, notes and transcripts on each episode here. The Bureau of Writing has been assisted by the Australian Government through the Australian Council for the Arts, its arts funding and advisory body. It has been made possible through the generous support of the Kia Foundation and On The Beach is supported by the Victorian Government through Creative Victoria.